Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, I want to welcome everyone who's uh, worshiping with us online, as well as those of us who are here in person. We're so glad you're with us. Um, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at our One Church in so many locations right now. We don't know where you are, uh, but we're glad you're with us. We're glad we can be connected in this way. We're in our teaching series, There's No Place Like Home. And it's not ironic that that comes in the fall season. Uh, Those of us who went to high school or college, we knew the fall time was always homecoming time, right? And we've been thinking about that as we're slowly emerging from these horrible 20-something months of, of, you know, just disruption, uh, pandemic, other things that have really disrupted our lives. And slowly but surely, we're gathering back together home, whether you're in your home right now, whether those of us are here physically, that we're we're coming back together. We're, we're, we're reassembling. In Ezekiel, he had a vision of a valley of dry bones. And he, God says to Ezekiel, says, can those bones live again? Ezekiel goes, I have no idea. He's like, but you know. And God said, preach to those bones. Speak. And the spirit came, the spirit of life, and it breathed new life. And it said they began to come together bone upon bone, sinew upon sinew. And, and that's what we're, we're coming back better, really. We're coming back stronger as, as we realize that, that God is reassembling us and God's doing a transformative work in me. And I hope God's doing a transformative work in you. And so as we begin to come back in person as now, we're celebrating that vaccines are available even for kids as young as five. So more of our families can be in children's ministry together. And that, that's really exciting. These are all signs of God's presence with us. And uh, I do hope you'll look at some of the small groups that we're offering. There's one right after this service, a a grown-up's guide to kids wiring. There's some great uh, young folks leading that. Jump in. If you have kids, if if you um, have grandkids, if you love kids, if you teach, if you coach, um, it's a wonderful study. It it starts right after the service. You can jump in that one. Tomorrow, I'm jumping in to our men's group with our lay leader, Jeff Cap, and uh, I'm going to be leading our men's group on the second and fourth Sundays of the month, or Sundays, second of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The second and fourth Mondays at 6.30. So 6.30 to 8. If you're a guy and you want to just come out and fellowship with some guys um, at a men's group, we're going to be doing that for the next several months. Uh, So I hope you'll take advantage of that. We're at that place, though, on All Saints Day, that remembering there's no place like home, but home also can be a very, very significant place of grief. You know, we talk about 700,000 some lives, just nothing in my lifetime I've seen that just, you know, over a course of, of less than two years, we realize that there's a lot of grieving in our world right now and in our country and in our city and here in our church. There's a lot of grieving. There's some, there's some chairs that'll be empty during the holidays that weren't empty before. We have to face um, that ultimate, that ultimate condition, that ultimate enemy, that I said that that's why we're longing for a true home 
where death will be no more, where weeping will be no more. Um, and, and we're in that direction. But what do we do on this side of it? What do we do when we face grief, when we face tragedy, when we face loss? I think this passage of the raising of Lazarus is a place that all of us should kind of hitch our wagons to at those moments. I, I haven't preached on it in a while, and I've got to tell you, as I've spent time with it the last three or four weeks, I'm just kind of kicking myself. I think, I, I'm saying like, Chip, we ought to probably preach on Lazarus once a year. It's, it's the pivotal story in John's gospel as a preview to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All scholars, all biblical scholars that study John say that this is the linchpin of everything that John has to say. Because at the beginning of John, for the first 10 verses, he's proclaiming as an evangelist who Jesus is. And he tells seven signs and wonders. Seven, you've been around with me, or if you've been listening online, seven is always a significant number. It meant completion or perfection. So I got created in seven days, and at the restoration, in Revelation, there's seven seals and seven trumpets and seven, you know, all these sevens, so message, message to seven churches. So what John's saying, he tells us seven signs and wonders. He doesn't say these are all the signs and wonders Jesus does. In fact, if you read the very end of John's gospel, at the very, very end, you know what he says? Look, if I tried to tell you everything that Jesus did, like all the books of the world couldn't contain it. But he said, here's, here's, a, here's a sampling, here's a, here's a perfect, perfect picture of who he is. And this raising of Lazarus is the seventh sign. It's what everything's been pointing to. And now we don't know, just know who Jesus is, we know why he's come. He has come to arrest death. He has come to face our ultimate enemy. And in this story, you and I are Martha and Mary. So are we, this is who we are when we're overwhelmed with grief, when we face loss, when we go through suffering that is almost unbearable. What do we say? Martha and Mary say the same thing. Lord, where have you been? Do you realize for the past couple years, there have been people, and I've talked to some of you, and I've been there myself, we're like, Lord, really? Like, where are you? <laughs> we need you, right? And they say, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd have been here, Lord, if you, you know, you know, we wouldn't have a pandemic. If you'd been here, George Floyd wouldn't have died. If you'd been here, Lord, uh, you know, I wouldn't be going through these, this situation of relationships. We all understand that. And Jesus walks into this situation. Don't you love it that God walks right into our heartache? You know, what do they say? A true friend is when the world walks out, they walk in. Jesus always walks into our wreckage. He doesn't avoid it. He's not ashamed of us. He's not embarrassed by us when we are hurting, when we really need. In fact, Martha and Mary, the only right thing they did in the whole story is if you go back to the beginning of John, when Lazarus was sick, they said, somebody go get Jesus. Send for Jesus. When you're overwhelmed, and he's going to come to you with four things. I'm going to try to rattle these four through, and, and then we'll go uh, to a time of communion together. Four things, and maybe four gifts, I think, it, that we need at different times. Maybe we need one gift more than the other. And I want to flash these through you today. And then what I want to do is for you, when you go home, be reflecting on John 11, read the whole story again, and think about which of these four do I need, really need in my life right now. He comes and he brings tears, truth, anger, and grace. Tears, truth, anger, and grace. Tears he, he offers to Mary. 
truth he wields with Martha, anger he directs at the tomb, and grace he directs for us all. First, the tears of Jesus. Jesus goes, did you hear the story? He meets Mary, Mary comes out, she's weeping, and she says, Lord, where have you been? If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus doesn't even answer the question, he just falls down on his knees with her and weeps with her. You know, I used to, you remember that verse, Jesus wept? I thought that was just the answer to a trivia question. You ever heard it? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. The more I've lived, the more I realize that verse is maybe one of the most profound verses of all scripture. Jesus wept. In fact, even the religious leaders who hated Jesus, they said, see how he loved them. See how he loves us that he pauses to weep with us. Do you know, friends, you would say, well, maybe I shouldn't be feeling this way. I want to lift all those burdens off of you. Maybe you're, maybe you're struggling over what some people would say, the minors, most minor thing. Don't listen to the critics. If it matters to you, it matters to him. He is so compassionate that he stops to weep with Mary. He doesn't say anything except, where have you laid it? He, he, he joins us at this, this place of our brokenness. And, and this is stunning to me. Now you're saying, okay, well, Chip, he's just kind of a kind guy. No, no, no. This is stunning to me. Because Jesus has two things in this situation that we never have. One, he understands everything that's going on. That God didn't design, God didn't design, you know, when bad things happen. It's not that God is the author of that. But, it, but Romans says that in all things, God is still working for good. That God can take a mess and bring something out of it. And Jesus already knows the purpose and the glory that can come out of this. I mean, when my sister died at 44 years old, my oldest sister, and, uh, you know, there was, you're going through grief, and it, it's rough, and it's just, everything's unreal. But when I look back, you know, many years later, I saw that even in her death, there was a blessing for people. She directed a choir in her church and for over a decade, and the people in that choir, I'm going to tell you, were nominally religious. But when my sister Marilyn directed that choir with joy, when she could barely stand up until the day of her death, I'm going to tell you, there are people out of that choir that have gone into ministry. So Jesus already knows what glory is going to come out of this. He knows that. We don't know. We're overwhelmed. And he also has the power to do something about it. See, we're powerless. That's why death frightens us so much. Because, because you, you can't, you know, if somebody's sick you're, you, in your family or somebody's ill, you know, or a child, I, I've been there, you go in there and we're going to fight this thing and we're going we're gonna to do some mess and we're going to do some of these things. Or if, you're, if your kid's in trouble or a car accident, that's all right, we can replace cars. But when somebody dies, we have no power. We're just powerless. Reminds us we're all terminally ill, right? And Jesus has all knowledge and all power, and he still weeps with Mary. When in 10 minutes he knows everybody's going to be rejoicing. Have you ever seen the tricks that parents play on their kids? You've seen them on TikTok or social media or whatever, where, you know, a kid wants an Xbox or wants something for Christmas, and they get like an empty box, and the kid's going crazy. You've seen this, haven't you? And the parents are what? They're weeping? No, they're snickering because they know in like 10 seconds. They were going to pull that out. We had that happen last year. Um, we, do this, we do this little secret 
Santa thing in our family. Uh, before Santa comes, we, we come. And uh, uh, we do these little stockings. And every year, somebody's going to fill a stocking that Santa doesn't fill. There are children in the room, friends. Um, and uh, they're going to do that. And then we have to guess who filled our stocking, right, like in the family. And last year, you know, it was such a hard year. And we couldn't be with family during the pandemic and all this. And Tiana, my oldest daughter, she takes her stocking down. She reaches in. She pulls out a pine cone. Then she reaches in, she pulls out a dirtier pine cone. And then she pulls out a broken trophy. Like there's a trophy where like somebody had one arm, the other arm's broken. And she just looks around the room. And she goes, Matt! The one who was on stage here. That's my youngest. And he, his greatest joy is to torment his sister. For a long time. And, and he didn't start crying. He didn't start weeping. He started cracking up because right behind the couch, he said, here, Tayana, here's your real stocking, right? Why didn't Jesus do that? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he walk up and Mary's weeping and he goes, ha, 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 watch this. Because if it matters to you, it matters to him. And whatever you are weeping over and whatever you're struggling with, he's right there to struggle with you. The Bible in Hebrews 4 says we have a high priest that was tempted in every way that we are, who understands everything that we've ever going to go through. He, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. That's who he is, send for Jesus. And the second thing he brings is truth. To Mary, he brings tears. To Martha, he brings truth. Martha goes, same question, same situation. Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not die. Your brother will rise again. She goes, yeah, I went to catechism. I went to confirmation. I know the Apostles' Creed. I'm religious. I know someday we get to heaven, la da 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 da. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't just have access to power, I am power. I just don't have a solution for your life. I'm the author of life. Do you believe this, Martha? He comes into her with truth. He comes into her giving her, uh, you know, the, the proclamation of the gospel that she needs. Tony Campolo was an uh, evangelist, and he, he was one of my mentors. He came here in 2011. Uh, his books are amazing. You can still YouTube him. He has such a personality. And Tony told me one time that he was preaching at a church in Philadelphia, and they had a healing service where at the end, after he preached, people come forward, and he and other pastors would anoint with oil. And he said there was a woman who wheeled her husband forward. He had been fighting cancer, and Tony uh, anointed him with oil and her with oil and prayed for them. And he said he went back to that church two years later, and the woman came up by herself and she says oh do you remember me remember my husband when he was alive I wheeled him up to the altar for you to pray for healing and Tony had this horrible feeling in his heart like a great pastor I was prayed for healing and your husband's died and she could tell his countenance fell she said Tony let me tell you something she said after that service we had the best six months of our lives my husband was at peace he, he, he knew Jesus in a more personal way. They'd never known him before. And he said, she looked him in the eyes and she said, hey, pastor, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. Uh-huh. And that's the truth. 
That's the truth Jesus brings into our situations, right? He has all the power in the world. I've been with Pastor Terry a long time. Some of you know, who 18 years is my best ministry friend. We're, we're frickin' frack. Um, she's my, my family's pastor. I told her when I met her long ago, I can't be my kid's pastor. Would you mind taking that job? She's officiated my kids' weddings. She's uh, counseled my children. She's if I have any sanity in me, it's partially because of all the prayers she's prayed over me. But there's one prayer that Pastor Perry Terry did that I still go back to again, again, again. It was when my middle son Perry was having heart surgery. Perry was a high-level athlete and everything, but he had a funny-sounding heart, and we could never lay it down. We were always concerned. And at 16, he had to go in for heart surgery. Now, they were trying to tell me, okay, you know, it's not real major. Okay, you know, you said heart and surgery in the same sentence. You know, as a parent, you're freaking out. And so I guess the surgeon could tell that Terry and I were a little unsettled. Um, and so he said, okay, hey, come with me. He took us back to where he was going to do the surgery. He showed us the room and the, explained the procedure. And he looked at me and he said, hey, Reverend Freed, this is the Cleveland Clinic. If your son was the child of the prince of Saudi Arabia, he'd be flying to this hospital to have this surgery. And I, that kind of helped. Yeah, that was good news. I agree. It was, it was kind of good. You know, like I'm like, okay, I, I get the science. But you still rattled, right? And then we went back in the waiting room and Pastor Terry got off the elevator. I told her to stay home. She didn't listen. She got off the elevator and she literally like made a beeline through Terry and I and went straight to Perry and she put her hand on his head and she said, may the same power that raised Jesus from the dead be with you and in you. And at that moment, all of a sudden the sun came out and I knew it was going to be okay, even if it wasn't going to be okay. Do you understand that? That's the truth. Have you accessed that? Sometimes we just need the tears of Jesus. We just need him to come and weep with us. Other times we need him to come with us with, with you know, speaking the truth in love. And, and he, look at him do it at the same time in different ways to the same question. He's a wonderful counselor. You need him. Send for Jesus. Send for him. And then he comes with anger. You say, whoa, Chip, what, what's this anger thing going on? Well, here's why you don't see anger in the text, because the English translators are seriously too afraid to tell you what the Greek really says. That's the only thing I can figure out. Because all the English translations miss this one. In fact, verse 33, if, if you heard it read, it said that Jesus was um, uh, deeply disturbed. He came and he saw Mary weeping on people. He was deeply disturbed. That's a terrible translation. And all the English ones do it. I don't know. I think they're afraid of it. One scholar said, a Greek scholar said, it's, it's lexically abusive. <laughs> like they don't tell us what it really says. What it really says, he, Jesus saw everybody weeping. And it doesn't say he was deeply disturbed. The Greek there says he was filled with rage. He was angry. And then verse 38 says, he went to the tomb deeply troubled. That's not what it says. That word in the Greek there says he went to the tomb snorting like an angry animal, bellowing and roaring, nostrils flared. Maybe he was yelling. He's angry. What's he angry at? Well, let's look at what he's not angry at. He's just told us he's God. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's not angry at himself. He's not mad at God. See, we do. We get that way. God, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? How do you know God's doing anything to you? What is your evidence? What's your evidence? Somebody, I, I, asked, I was counseling somebody once. Oh, I just know God has beat me up. I lost my job. What's your evidence? What's your evidence that God's mad at you? Well, all these bad things are happening. Look at Jesus. Wow. 
perfect person and lived a horrible life. Every possible thing bad that could happen to him happened. So where's your evidence? All these bad things that God must be. God, how do you, God's not mad at you. I see that bumper sticker, Jesus is coming back and boy, is he mad. Well, how do you reconcile that with God so loved the world? They sent Jesus to do what? To condemn it? No, to save it. Here's how you know you read God's word. What does God's word say, Chip? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor. In fact, Paul says twice, if you love your neighbor, you fulfilled the law. Jesus said that too. So if I'm, lo- if I'm not loving God and loving my neighbor, God's, not up- God's upset with me. But don't, don't look, you know, put our, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't get angry at God. And he doesn't get angry at the victims. He doesn't demonize. He relates to them. What's he angry at? He's angry at the tomb. He's angry at death itself because God does not design a world with death. It's when we decided, you know the story, the Genesis story telling us when we decided we want to be our own masters, we want to be our own lords. Nobody tells me what's right and wrong for my life. Like I want to, I want to drive the bus, but we're not qualified it. And the bus went off the road and death came into the world and disease came into the world and broken relationships came into the world. That's why it says very clearly what in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus is angry at it. And you know, anger is one of the five stages of grief, right? When you get angry, that's okay. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry at what? Be angry at death. All of us should be. I love what B.B. Warfield, as a theologian, said. said, Jesus advances to the tomb, not weak and sniveling, but as a champion preparing for conflict. He goes to the tomb raging with fiery wrath against our enemy. That is death. God is angry at death. He bellows at death. Jesus is going to go do combat with death. And we see that right here in in John 11. And so when Jesus comes to you with tears and with truth, the things you're hurting over, Jesus is angry at that too. He's bellowing against anything that would diminish life. And then lastly, let me close with this. He brings us grace. The grace of Jesus. You say, where's that? In the whole story. They sent for Jesus, and he comes, right? If you call for Christ, he comes. If you don't say, well, I'm trying to pray, Pastor. I don't know what to pray. He comes. And it says when we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Spirit comes to us in sighs too deep for words and groans which cannot be uttered and intercedes on our behalf and prays through us and prays for us. He comes. You know, I, I was dealing with one of our staff members who had lost a family member this week dealing with grief, and I just read the 23rd Psalm again. You know, that's read at funerals a lot of times. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there's a place in that Psalm where I've really matured in my faith. Do you know the line in that Psalm when it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. Why? Those of you who know it. Because you are with me, Right? Even though I walk through the valley of shadow death, I will not be afraid because you're with me. You know, for probably 40 years of my life, I read that verse thinking, oh, that's what I'm going to pray when I die. Like when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God will be with me so I don't have to be afraid to die. I, it wasn't, I, I think I had to turn 50 before I figured out. That's not what that's saying. Because if you read everything, it says when we die, death is just a door. Like we go into the presence of God. 
We go into light. We don't go into darkness. There's no shadows. Right? It says, what does the Revelation say? That the sun will not scorch them by day nor the moon by night because the Lamb is their light. There is no darkness. There is no death. There is no weeping. There is no suffering. That's what we're heading into. So what is the psalm talking about? It's talking about all of us left behind. Because we're the ones when our loved one dies and we lit candles for today and I have four candles up there of saints that I'm aiming for and thinking for. They're in the light, but I'm still walking through the valley of the shadow of death and God says to those of us who are grieving and hurting and worrying and pacing the floor he said don't be afraid because I am the resurrection and the life and I am with you even to the end I got emotional on that and that's why Paul says in Philippians he said I want to know Jesus do you know what that word no means? <laughs> it's kind of personal. Do you remember Adam knew Eve and they had a child? Paul said, I want to be that intimate with Christ. I want to know Jesus and know what? And the power of his resurrection. Have you activated that in your life? And, and where's the grace? It says after this time, they decided to put him to death. Jesus knew that too. And at this moment, Jesus was willing to arrest Lazarus' funeral by causing his own. He knew he could never get Lazarus out of the grave without putting himself into the grave. Do you see how much he loves us? He couldn't get you and I out of the grave except by putting himself into the grave. We have a God so committed to ending suffering and death that he's willing to come into the world and be part of that suffering and death and take upon himself the wages of sin, the penalty of God forsakenness. And he's willing to put himself in the tomb to get us out of the tomb. That's the grace that we have. That's the trust that we can have. So let me, let me, let me close with this. And uh, I wore this shirt on purpose today. It's my yellow shirt. And you all thinking, uh, if you've been around Garfield, we did this thing called the temperaments. We took temperaments. There's four temperaments. And I'm a yellow, sanguine, right? Here's the temperament of a yellow. Need to be the center of attention, class clown, talk all the time, drive people crazy because they interrupt them, have a tendency to exaggerate. And I became a yellow, and everybody at Garfield's like, God, we didn't see that in Chip. We just never. Like people are like, duh. That's not why I wore it. Here's why I wore it. I wore it in remembrance of Vincent Van Gogh. Now, I've been following, I follow you guys on Facebook and social media. My wife does too, she's a troll, she never comments. But she edits mine, she censors my social media. Like I have to, honey, am I allowed to post this now? Um, But I've been watching some of you guys go to this Immerse Van Gogh, anybody gone to it? A few of you out there, I know, love you. And I've heard it's amazing. So Terry and I are going to go because I, I just, I'm a yellow. I can't stand that you guys had some fun somewhere and I didn't have it. So I, I'm going to go. But it's downtown. Everybody's been telling me it's amazing. It caused, it caused me to think a little bit about Vincent Van Gogh. Not my favorite painter, but I obviously respect him. But Van Gogh had an interesting life. Some of you know, I mean, whenever there's brilliance, there's always a dark side to that brilliance, right? Sigmund Freud was a cocaine addict, right? Like, he's smart guys go through stuff. 
And Van Gogh, was, he dealt with mental health his whole life, ended up in a mental health hospital. He was raised in a Christian home. He was raised in church, but he rejected church, and he had good reason to. A lot of people, boy, boy, you know, you ever realize that the number one reason people don't come to church is because of people who do? It's a true story. And my wife and I are always, my wife has one prayer in our life, don't let us stumble somebody. And there's been a lot of stumbling out in the Christian world in the last two years. I, I spend most of my life apologizing for preachers I don't even know. In fact, when I, we go out and we meet somebody who's not part of a church, and, and I don't tell them what I do right away, and we strike up a conversation, and they go, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. They go, you don't seem like a pastor. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Whatever it is. You know, we, we do some crazy things. And Van Gogh left church because of church people. And he abandoned the faith. And whenever he painted something, he put a little yellow in it. And this yellow was like hope. It wasn't with God at that point. I preached on this at Christmas Eve a few years ago. His picture, Starry Night. I think we got the Starry Night picture. That was Starry Night. This is a church. In the, there's a church in the building, village. Some people thought this was a, the tree of the Garden of Eden, right? And so where's the yellow? The yellow's up in the sky. There's some yellows in some people's houses, but if you were here on that Christmas Eve, where, where is there no yellow? <laughs> There's no yellow in the church. That was, his, that was his kind of protest. He found himself in a mental hospital, however. A priest came to him, and I began to put his faith back together, and Van Gogh recommit his life to Jesus Christ. And after he did that, you know what he did? He painted a portrait about this story, the raising of Lazarus. Look at this picture. A little yellow there? Go back to Starry Night, if you would, folks. Go back to Starry Night. There's a, there's a little yellow there. Now go back to the Lazarus one. Boom! Right? All hope. All possibility. And here's Martha and Mary, and here's Lazarus getting up. And if you look real close at Lazarus's face, do you know what Van Gogh painted? His own face. He put himself in the story, and he found hope. I pray that the tears of Christ, that the truth of Christ, that the Jesus being our champion, angry at death, and that the grace of Jesus Christ, finding a way to end death without ending us, and putting himself in our place, and loving us that much, I hope that might burst yellow into your life. Burst joy and hope, even in the midst of tears. That light might shine through even the cracks in your broken heart knowing that he is with me.